What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here. You're watching live from Nerdville. Today, I am broadcasting from New York City. And my special guest, four-time Grammy nominee, my friend and yours, the great Robert Randolph, is coming to us from Vail, Colorado, where you're actually doing gigs. Welcome, Mike. Yes, we're here. We're alive. We're playing a show to 50 people. <laughs> great. It seems like a sold-out Bonnaroo Fest. 50 people. Woohoo! We're sold out. So, you know, just asking for a friend, what's it like to play music as it's intended for an audience? Because I haven't done that for a year or more. You know, it's sort of the weirdest thing, man, because like it's almost like that feeling when you were just starting out, you know, you're like, wow, there's people there, you know, like, let's play. And then, you know, it's 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 a, it's a weird feeling because, you know, you forget, like we used to do this every single day. Travel, check into the hotel, sound check. But it's like we're all forgotten how to like plug in our pedal boards, and and then you like you know our amps hasn't been that loud in like you know thirteen months, <laughs> right? Because we've been at home, so it's like shit. Maybe that's too loud. Is that too loud? You know, no, Robert, your amps only on three. <laughs> You know, it's like, um, how did it affect you? How deep into the, the, the spring touring season were you when you got sent home? Because we, we got sent home on March 12th was our last show. And then we tried to keep going, and then it just became unsustainable. By March 15th, we were back in Nashville. Yeah, I would say March, the it was a festival that we did in Florida with Brandy Carlisle. So that was like March the 16th or 17th. Right. And... Well, you know how it is. We had a whole schedule planned, and it was like, woo, coming yeah. off a Grammy nomination. We got a full schedule, and it was like one week. Okay, that's canceled. Next week, that's canceled. Okay, next week, all of May, all of June, all of yeah. July. We're screwed. Yeah. yeah. We, held on to, we held on to Europe until the bitter end, and then it just became, once Europe was like this is not going to happen on any level and then they were saying well now you may have to distance your you're like well we already sold the tickets you know what I yeah mean? yeah yeah and um and then it just cascaded we our, our summer run which we were going to do like an orchestra thing at red rocks it th then then the acceptance you know because did you go through the same depression i did like in march totally. you're just like totally. i feel worthless what do i do yeah, yo i mean don't forget too right it was like like we never witnessed this. Like we never been a like, like everything was shut down in March and April. People forget like, like that end of March, up until about May, especially in New York City and all that stuff. Like it was like nobody anywhere, right? right. Because don't remember that sort of thing. Where, like we're not sure if we could breathe outside air. We're not sure if we could. Right? right. Don't go outside. Don't go to the grocery store. Right. You like you go to the grocery store. You wipe down. You left the stuff in the garage. You wiped all down the meat, the, the canned goods. <laughs> right. right. So that was just such a weird time. And it was kind of like depressing because it was like, well, and I remember they were like, hey, well, maybe you should do these live streams. And it's like, I'm depressed. What do we do? Like right. the whole schedule is wiped out. You know, I've been touring for almost 20 years now. Like, what a, it's like I'm back home with my parents with nothing to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you, you know, your your debut album is coming up on its twentieth anniversary. I mean, like, yeah, we're the same age. And mine just I just hit twenty years last August. Wow! And uh, my first solo album came out in two thousand. And um, so you're 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 about to hit twenty years this year. Yep. I mean, you ever because we were always looked at as like the the young guns and the you know the the kids. <laughs> What's it like to be now? We're we're in our forties and we're like you know what, what's it, like you're an established veteran act that yeah. you're not seeing kids your age when you first started coming up and you're like you're like yeah we're like we're like what our heroes were to us you exactly. know the older yeah. generation and stuff like that what's it what's that like it's you know it's just it's just surreal like you know when what's funny like with me is like it only it, it only hits like when like kind of like two places when i'm in a studio or when we're on stage you realize like you know, like, damn, we're not getting this fucked up plant recording music anymore, <laughs> right? Like, like you would go into the studio and you would first 
attack like two bottles of whiskey, right? right? And you have and like now you're totally wasted. You're like, come on, let's make the music, and you make the music, right? And then on the on the other side of that is when you get on, you know, when you're performing live, you know, you're remembering like, you know, you hear the fans going, "Hey, play that song," and you're like, I don't think we have the energy to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do we even? It's like, how do we even play a 20 minute version of that song? <laughs> yeah, it's like. You know, it's like was it like the old blues cliches? Like you turn water into wine, wine into whiskey. Yeah. At, 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 at lobby forty four May at forty four, I turn whiskey into wine and wine into water. I'm back. <laughs> I, just I just can't hang anymore. Hey, like, exactly right. You know, you get that feel that certain point at night where like it feels like your body's just giving out on you. Like right. it's like I need to go to bed, right? And then you wake up in the morning, you're like, yes. Like, I'm up at 7 a.m. It's the greatest feeling. I remember when we used to go to bed at 7 a.m. <laughs> right? You go to bed at 7, you wake up at sound check. It's like every knocking on the bus, like, okay, guys, come on, everybody up for sound check. Like, right. what time is it? Four o'clock. Shoot. Right? That's that's just the weirdest thing, man. And then when, when you're watching all of the younger artists, it's sort of, I kind of tell them, like, how people used to tell me, like, when I was, they'd be like, son. You better be careful out here. <laughs> you better be. You. you know, my favorite is like you know, like some of the some of the, I think some of the younger generation of of Twitter and Instagram trolls. They like to call you a boomer. Like oh, okay, yeah. okay, boomer. And my 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 simple reply to them is this: It will happen to you too. It will happen to you too. Be twenty three for the rest of your life. You become you'll become old and have responsibilities just like everybody else. Hey, God. listen, you know it's funny, and it's like watching you, right? Like you you're doing these theaters, right? And you play all these places, right? And then like I remember when we were transitioning to these theaters and like performing arts centers, friends are like, we don't want to come to that show. We wanna, you know, do GA and stand all day, right? right. And it's like, hey. There's all these other fans that don't want to do that. They want to come have a nice seat and watch the show, right? Not stand for three hours at a GA. It's like, hey, we're not 22 anymore. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think I would have a hard time standing in a, a, a GA show for the Jimi Hendrix experience. <laughs> Be like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy the DVD. Yeah, 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 right. It's like, it's alright. I'll go sit down, man. But. That's just one of the weird things about getting older, man. Like, I mean, I'm sure you know. It's like, you know, everything, especially for me now, everything is like I'm so concentrated on, like, tone and strings and like, all the shit that I never gave a shit about, you know, before, yeah. right? It was yeah. like, now I'm like, you know, what transistors are in these amps, you know? Probably because I'm, like, see, watching you, you know? You go down the <laughs> rabbit holes, you know? You, yeah. Tell I mean, me... Tell me how you got started on the steel because uh, I'll give I'll, I'll give you a short story to, to, to preface this. My father had a guitar store in in, in Utica, New York. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it was a small shop, and every month, a group of gospel musicians would come in because they heard we had we we had lap steel guitars and we had pedal steel guitars, and they would come in from Rochester, New York, or like in yeah. Monroe, Monroe County. Yep. And they would sit down, plug these things in, and Rip. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, and I, I asked him, I was like, I'm like, I'm like, what band are you guys? Because obviously these are pros. Uh, this was yeah, yeah. hobbyist stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, we play with the Campbell Brothers. Yeah, yeah. It was the first time I had heard of this thing called Sacred Steel and this yep. Pentecostal um, uh, church where, where, where the, 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 the steel and the pedal steel are, yep. are uh, on the forefront. How did you get into that initially? Well, see, what, what people don't understand is, like, see, where the term sacred steel comes from, it comes from my church, which is called the House of God Church, which originated all the way in 1903, right? Right. And in the 1920s, there was a guy named Willie Easton. So, because our church is this church organization, right? Started in the South, all the way up, now it's like all the way up to New York, Chicago, all the way over to the Midwest, and then even some in LA, Compton, and so forth, right? Yeah. So Willie Eason started this tradition of lap steels in the church because in those days the church couldn't afford organs. So the lap steel, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and so forth, like just became like the main instrument. 
and our church had this own style. It's sort of like the Buena Vista Social Club, gotcha. right? To where, like, so you had Willie Eason, and then you had his cousin named Henry Nelson, right? Who grew up in the South, moved up to New York, right? And also one of Henry Nelson's other cousins was a guy named Lorenzo Harrison. So Lorenzo Harrison and Henry Nelson were our sacred still uh, Robert Johnson and Albert King, if you would say, right? The founding fathers of it. The founding fathers. So all throughout the years, right, it's been sort of many players in our church organization, women, older men, because in each local church, right, from Florida all the way up to New York and all the way over, you know, every church had a lap steel player or a pedal steel player. So I grew up watching these guys. So the Campbell brothers are like my father's age. Mm-hmm. So they were part of like that third tier. So it was like Lorenzo Harrison, Henry Nelson, and those guys. Then it was the next tier. Uh, now these guys are like 70-something, right? You had Ted Beard and Calvin Cook. So the term Sacred Steel didn't get coined until the late 90s when a guy named Bob Stone and the Arhuli Records, uh, their sort of folklore record company, um, they started to document this church, right? This music, which it was now called Sacred Steel. And um, and so, and, if, and the thing was, is because many of these guys before me could never leave the church. So you were deemed a sinner if you left the church <laughs> and, go, and go play somewhere else. So that's why a lot of people never heard of these guys. So these guys only could play in our church organization which was like our own Chitlin' circuit. So they would go, like you would play in, you know, Utica, New York, right? Which we got a church there, right? right. And it's funny because like my grandmother is one of the presiding elders of the one in Utica, right? Oh, wow, small yeah. world. And now one of my younger cousins, he's the councilman there. Moody is his last name in Utica. Wow. So, yeah, so Utica, Rochester, all of those towns, right? Um, all the way down... We just had this whole big organization. So it was like our own Chitlin circuit. So that's basically all they did their whole lives, right? Was travel from each assembly, they would call them a convention, right? And you would play and they were like, hey, we want to feature the Campbells or we want to feature Henry Nelson or Ted Beard or Calvin Cook or Lorenzo Harrison. So I grew up watching all of that. And then I had just decided, you know, when we had the first actual Sacred Steel convention in Florida, and it was just, all of the steel players from my church because now we're like, wow, man, white people actually like this music, you know, <laughs> because our church is all black church, you know, it's yeah. in all of the inner cities in all of the U.S. basically, right, mm-hmm. especially all up and down the East Coast. So it's like, wow, really? They do? Like, yeah, man, you know, people really like this stuff. So let's have a sacred steel convention. So it was a guy named Bob Stone and Chris Strackwich from My Holy Records you know, sponsored the Sacred Steel tour. We all kind of went down and that's when we all sort of formed like our own little bands, right? Right. Which was like 1997, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. 98, somewhere around there. And so it was like everybody had their own little band now and it sort of became this sort of competitive thing. So, you know, that's sort of the story of how I come out of, you know, I went to the church in New Jersey, right? With my family and all of them from in Orange, New Jersey. So, me and my cousins, we were like the band there growing up. Right. I started out as a drummer, but in our church, the cool thing is the, the pedal steel. So right. like you're like the rock star, you know, the pedal steel player. Yes. Because there's many, there's a lot of bad ones. <laughs> there was a lot of bad ones, so you had to try to be good, you know. Yeah, I mean, pedal steel, I tried a little bit. I, I bought one and I tried to like, just the assembly in the tuning process said, it, it, I, I, you know, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna call Robert if I need a track. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay you to play on the reference, you know. Bro, it's the coolest thing. It's one of the coolest instruments because there's so many ways to play these chords, right? Right. So you know, I got everything from I got 12 strings on mine, right? So as you know, you got the high G sharp, right? right. Which is a is a number 12 string high tuned to G sharp, and the lowest string is a B flat. Okay. So, so that's like a gauge 72 B, B flat. So in between that, you have all these different ways of playing chords. And it, and it's, it, and it never ends, right? But you have these 
seven pedals and you have five knee levers that if one thing is out of tune, <laughs> as you know, right, right, people be like, man, you sound like crap today. What happened? It's like, well, like, you know, there's a thousand things to tune here, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I, you know, I, I love about your, 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 your music and, and seeing you live is the fact that you are an entertainer, you know, and a lot of times people go like, well, Joe, what, what do you really do? Are you a blues guitarist? Are you in the music business? Are you in the blues business, guitar business? I go, no, I'm in the entertainment business. My job yeah. is entertainment. And yeah. you go for it. You know, yeah. it's a very unwieldy instrument that's really designed to just sit flat. <laughs> and, you know, and you're you rock it, you're pushing it, and you know you yeah. push the boundaries of what the instrument was intended to. You know, and I, I, you know, my hats off to you because that's that that to me is the sign of the true greats is the one I'm like yeah we could do this with this, but how am I going to entertain the folks? You know, and you yeah. haven't riveted from the downbeat. Yeah, and it's so funny because the the uh, every time we come off tour or some sort of you know stretch of planned shows. Right. I'll be like, I'll call up the guys that make my pedal steels, and I'll be like, man, this thing's not working. And they're like, well, Robert, you've been shoving a thing around, and, <laughs> and you've been kicking it and putting it on your head and doing all these things. The, the instrument just ain't made for that, son. Right, right. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. I'm sending it back to you. You better fix it for free. <laughs> what, what, what brand of steel do you use? Well, now it's, uh, uh, it's Jackson Pedal Steels, which is actually – shot Jackson's son. So this is the Showbud company. Gotcha. These, these are the guys that, you know, is shot Jackson's kids, they, but they're older. They're 80 now. Right. But, you know, there was this thing where they sold the name Showbud back in the 80s. So they couldn't release any more Showbud pedal steels. Right. So they just, so it's basically Showbud pedal steels. They call it Jackson now, but and they, they're really the smartest guys of, um, Knowing how, you know, not being copied. A lot of the pedal steel manufacturers are copycats. But right. these guys, as you know, the Showbug company, which goes all the way back to the 50s, right. they, they know everything there is. So I, I've been having a lot of fun collaborate, collaborating with them on sort of stretching the boundaries of, like, more sustain and better tone and, and a lot of these pedal steels. And it's sort of never ending. Like, you know, I'll call them. I just talked to them yesterday. I'm like, this pickup sucks. <laughs> and, but the, and the crazy thing is is like they have a thing for single coil pickups right it's right. like nothing sounds better than a single coil but i'm like well shoot i want to have distortion like joe bonamassa and i can't have distortion because the single coil <laughs> right <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah and, and you you were the first person i i, I ever i ever saw to take a, a, a bona fide 12 string pedal steel and all the and and drive the shit out of the amp you know, yeah. And, yeah. and you get this big fat tone, you know, and and, and it, it's like an extension of 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 you know your personality, and and you can hear you know come yeah. out when you, when you play. Tell me about the new the the, the last record, Brighter Days, was 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 nominated for a, a, a Grammy for best contemporary blues. Yeah. So I, so I sit here in a very Mike Wallace posture. And I go, <laughs> Do you consider yourself a blues artist? You know what? I, I, I do in a sense because like, I, we come from out of church, right? Playing gospel music. And when you listen to gospel music and blues music, it's all the same. The only thing that's different is the, the words that are coming out of my mouth. Right. right. One song is about, oh, baby, please. And one is like, I'm begging you, Lord, please. You know? Right. Like, baby, don't leave me. Like, Jesus don't leave me, you know? Right. right. You know, like, it's just all the chords are the same. Right? Yes. Of every blues song there is, but that's ever been made, there's, like, the same amount of gospel songs that have been made. So when, when you get down to it and you figure, like, the chord structures, um, a lot of, for a lot of the things that we do, especially in our church, mm -hmm. right? Because our church is still very much old time. Right. Right. It's not sort of modern where you got these keyboard synths and all these different things happening. Like our church is like bass, drum, steel, guitar, you know, like right. it ain't even no organ players in our church, really. Like the organ players, like the guy that we put we put them all the way to the back. Right? <laughs> so like the, the guitar players is, is in charge of all of the, the chord changes. Right. Rhythm. Chica, chica, yep. chica, 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 right. 
the steel players in charge of the melodies and all of the basses, low end, the drums, the same thing, which is very much like blues, right? Yeah. And it's like, if there is an organ player, you're like, okay, you only could do this. You're not going to be the damn organ player playing with the, with the, with the bass pedals. <laughs> you yeah, you, you get one hand only. That's it. One hand. <laughs> you get one hand, you get a solo maybe every now and then, but other than that, right, this is like very old time aggressive gospel dance music. So when you get into a lot of those shuffles and a lot of these different things, it's like, it's pretty much the same. I would just say I'm a, sort of a new extension of the blues and so are you, you know? Absolutely. Oh, I mean, I, like... I don't think I've ever made a straight blues record. I, I've always been eclectic, but I've been kind of put into the blues category. What did, what did your church have? You, you know what's crazy? I, like, and I've had this conversation with some people for the Blues Society. And, right. I, and I tell them, I'm like, look, just from from me outside looking in, because I was never really, it's not like I grew up a blues fan, right? Yeah. I was a gospel music fan and then then playing gospel. And then I started listening to like people like Norman Brown, right? And, and George Benson, right? Yeah. Because as, as a black person, right, that's what you kind of listen to, right? And in the Northeast. And then I only got into the blues when I was like, what was, when like 1996, when, my cousin gave me a tape of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Right. So that was like my first introduction of really like listening to blues. Right. Right. And and even when you listen to Stevie Ray, like it was like, it's not really bluesy. It's more rock and something else. Right. Right. So you know how it is. So the, the blues people, like you know, some of the blues foundation, a lot of it is like, wow, that's not quite a blues record. It's like, what do you want me to do? One, four, five all day, like the rest of like. That's the problem why the blues has no young fans, right? Yeah, you know, it, you know, I, I put the blues in a giant, under a giant umbrella, and yeah. I, I, you know, I, I've never been popular for saying that, but, but, but I also, it's what I believe. I think everything from Robert Johnson to Led Zeppelin is under yeah. that umbrella. Exactly. You're, me included, you included, um, people like the Black Keys and Jack White. Yeah, all of that to I hear the blues, That's you know, what it is. Yeah. and I hear the influence. And, you know, I, I just had a, 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 a just an email exchange with Jack White because he wanted to buy a bass that he saw in a video that I sold to a friend of mine who used to play in a, a band from Canada. Um, and and I just said at the end of the email, I said, just, you know, just tell tell Jack um, that he's done more to promote the blues than just about anybody in the last 20 years because he has exactly. a, a young generation of, of, of kids that are listening to what they think is just hip, cool music, yep. and they don't realize it's a, it's all derived from Book of White and Robert yep. Johnson and Sunhouse. And, and yep. you know, yep. that's how, and, and by the way, that's how the British sold it to the kids. And Exactly. You know? And, that, and that's just the important part of like, Understanding that we are blues musicians and blues is sort of, and it's it's crazy because as we're doing this this gospel record that I've been working on, which like we're also telling this story of how it was gospel and then the blues and then out of the blues came all of these other genres and other artists, right? And yeah. so all of them have been playing. Elvis is the blues, right? Uh, Little Richard is the blues. Right, as much as we want to say it's rock and roll, it's like it's if you put it on now, it's gonna be like, oh, that's that's the blues. That ain't what we call rock and roll now. That's the blues, right? No, I mean, yeah, rock and roll. I mean, it's it like it's again, it's just it's just how people's perceptions of um the music and it's all good, you know, like yeah. I can't stand what I do. And I said, fine. I can't yeah. stand what I do sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what's funny, man? Like, I just, you know, I tell people, I'm like, listen, there's always going to be somebody that doesn't like you, right? Yes. And, and if you don't understand what I'm saying, right, like, just go on social media and just look at, all you got to do is type the words uh, Beatles versus Zeppelin or something like that, or Beatles versus the Stones, right? Oh, right. You're going to see millions of people saying, I fucking hate the Stones. And you're going to have find millions of people going, I hate the Beatles. It's like, it's, it's a no win, right? Yeah. There's many people that don't like Michael Jackson. There's people, there many people that don't like Prince. Many, but what can you do? These are the greatest people 
the music yeah. minds who ever walked the earth. It's like, sorry, everybody can't like you. <laughs> and you won't. No, they won't. It's impossible. I mean, how do you deal with the, you know, I mean, because we all get it. I mean, yeah. how do you, how, you know, like, how do you view social media? You know, because we came up in a time there wasn't social media. And all of a yeah. Oh, six. So you're like, what's this Twitter thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I was so late to social media, man. I kind of like think I really just got on like maybe seven, eight years ago or some crazy thing. Right? right. But I just see social media as a way to, to, you know, to inform people, to have discussions, to learn. But don't forget, like the trolls are always there. So, yeah, you know, I pay no attention to trolls, to be honest with you. Like right. I give them no time of day because it's like. Like, as Charles Barkley said on one of his interviews, he's like, man, I'm not going to respond to that guy. That guy's probably sitting in his mama's basement (laughs) eating a box of cereal with nothing to do, you know? And that's that's what those people are. Like, like, wow, is this what you want? You want to argue with me? (laughs) I'm not about to entertain that. You know, know, that's the thing. It's like, generally the trolls are the people who are feeling horrible themselves. Yeah, yeah. Pass that message on to you to try to make you feel as horrible as they are. Yeah. Some people have a valid point. You don't yeah. always get it right, but you know, I I view it as a is a good marketing tool as long as I'm an artist. The minute yeah. I decide to get out of the out of the business, I'm 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 shutting it down because it's just to me it's just it, it's it's so it takes up so much bandwidth in your brain that you it does. Have, you have a hard time enjoying just normal life. You know? Yeah, yeah, because and the thing is too, like, you know, like we all have thought, you know, ways of 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 thinking how we feel about things, whether it's political, whether it's uh, religious, you know, beliefs or whatever it is. And it's like on Twitter, you're always going to have all of these other, <laughs> right? You know, tr- trolls. So right. it's like it's like I'm not even getting into it. It's like what I tweet is what I tweet. If you don't like it, I don't care. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, would, I would imagine there's a lot of that. A lot of that comes from. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I I don't think I, I I've ever met someone as passionate about basketball and sports as you. Okay, <laughs> that's You're the only passionate. thing. Hey, that's the only thing I argue about is sport is basketball. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I mean, like, and, and you know, I mean, you you did the you did the NBA theme song, what, 15 years ago? And yeah, yeah, and, and you know, but you. You know the thing about your your opinions on stuff—they're well informed and well explained. You know, yeah. the problems start coming up when anything, mostly political. What I what I read and yeah, and, and I'm not a political person outwardly, but I do like to figure out. Yeah, what yeah. And we just don't have a baseline of factual information that we can agree on. Like like if we're if there's 10 people standing outside going on a sunny day in New York City and, go, <laughs> and someone says, "Hey, isn't this a lovely sunny day?" <laughs> there's going to be six people that says that's fake news. Yeah, yeah. You're like, "Well, and you go, well, how do you even begin to unwind that once or, that entrenched?" Or here's the worst thing. They'll be like, yeah, whatever. It's sunny, but I, I, I only like it when it's ninety degrees, not seventy. It's like, right. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing that'll happen, right? So yeah. it's like, oh, it's like, shut up, get out of here, man. I mean, social media is fun. I've learned a lot from social media, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 to me, um, there's more in terms of learning. I mean, just look from all the things that we've learned, like from YouTube and Twitter just discovering new music and other artists and yes. right it's like unbelievable man i mean when like, like like you said like now you got all of these young people and 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 look i don't want to get it misconstrued in what i was saying earlier about the blues and all that because there are a bunch of new young blues pe- guys and women like when you got Samantha Fish and you got um Kingfish Right and Marcus King and a lot of these young Lark and Poe I interviewed him Lark yes. and po- yeah Lark and Poe and a lot of these other young artists and, and it's kind of funny because it's like like wow how did you guys get to this to 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 learning this kind of music or to loving this kind of music and it's like you said Jack White and guys like you and me and like we've all sort of opened these guys up to. Because I don't get it. I'm like, it's not normal that you know other 20 year olds listen to the blues, but here comes Kingfish, 
yeah. rip freaking tearing a hole in everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you do, do you ever do you get this? Uh, the moments where like you know, kid will come up to you and be like, "Man, I listened to your third record when I was like in junior high, and now the kid's got like a career and he's playing." You're, and you're going. That doesn't seem like that's very long ago, but you're like, oh yeah, you're 13, now you're 23. It's like 10 years ago. <laughs> Bro, it's happened so many times, man. I mean, you know, like um, Brad Whitford's kids, man, you know? Um, Graham you know, and uh, 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 Harry, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, we used to do those Hendrix tours when they were like little babies right. when we first started out. Like now those dudes are like grown men. And like, there's been, like, so for years we had this thing that we would like invite I would just, we would have a spare guitar. We would call it like, it's funny, like within our band, we called it like the 101 guitars. It was like guitar 101. Right. So it's like some moment in the show, we, we would call somebody from the stage up and they would like sit in and play a song. Nice. Yeah. And like all of these years later, there's been so many dudes that are in bands now, like mm -hmm. that are famous bands. Like, you don't remember, man. I played the 101 guitar with you like in 2008. You know, I was 12, and it's like, shit. Like, you don't yeah. realize, right? Time goes by fast, man. It Woo! Goes, it, it's you, like, know? you know? It goes by so fast, and you're like, wow, like, you're 12. Like, now you're like, you know, 25, 26, right? right? It's like, it all makes sense. You know, the first time I saw you live, and you wouldn't have known this, was um, I went to see Eric Clapton um, at the... I want to call it the United Center in Washington, D.C. I used to live in Washington, D.C. for a few years. Yeah. And um, you were you you were you were Eric's support act. And, oh wow! And I was like, "Who's Robert Randolph from the?" Yeah, it's pre-phone. I had a flip phone, maybe, right? So <laughs> it's just like I, I I couldn't look it up. So I ended up ended up you know my girlfriend at the time had a pen because she was a lawyer, and and I wrote I wrote your name down on a ticket, yeah. and I I, I, I got to check this out. Because you guys were great and you brought the house down. Like, tell Bro, me you wait, wait. I got to tell you this story, man. So the first time I actually heard about you was mm -hmm. when we did the actual thing at the freaking Crossroads Festival together. 2010, yes. 2000 freaking 10, man. That was the first time. I remember like Scooter and all those guys, they were sending me emails and they were like, hey, Eric thinks it'll be cool. Like if you like, you get Bonamassa and them to set. I was like, who the fuck? Who the hell is Joe Bonamassa? Right. Like, and, and people were like, oh man, this guy's really good. And like, I was like, really? All right, man. Like who the hell is that, man? Yeah. <laughs> and then you came and you, you played and I was like, well, gee, he kicked our ass. <laughs> right? I was right back at you. I was like, do you, do you remember that that performance? All I remember about that performance was we 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 sound checked the day before. Yep, yep, went, yep. Went through the tune. We did the Don Nix, Freddie King classic, going down, yeah, going down. And um, what I do remember about the gig was it was so many bands, so many acts, so much stuff. Yeah, I had one wedge that that for the vocal, and that's all. I, I just told the minor guy, just just turn the vocal on. It's fine. I, I got it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Somehow a wire got crossed where the act that was going on after us, they were line checking snare drums. Wow. 10,000 dB. <laughs> Surprised you didn't hear because it was like, it was not with the music. So it was like, wow. I'm safe. And all of a sudden you just hear bang. <laughs> hey, and that's, and you know what? That's one of those moments you're like, Man, I think those fucking assholes around random trying to set me up, man. <laughs> no, I was like, I was like, I, I, to me, it was just another day at the office because I'm like, you're so used to doing festivals that exactly right. You know, I mean, like, you know, tell the folks that are out there because you know, there's a lot of musicians that watch this. Like, how important is it to really when you when you're coming up from the clubs to the bigger venues and stuff like that? You know, the clubs just no wedges. You're singing. You can't hear your shit. You know, festivals, you're throwing this stuff up there. It's a, it's a, it's a hot Bro, festivals, I mean, festivals is throw and go, man. And that's what's crazy, man, because that's, like, that's how we, like, started our career, man. It was so weird. Like, we started, like, playing all of the small clubs. And then next thing you know, we immediately start playing all of these festivals. Very much long before we were really playing, like, big, our own sort of headlining shows where you actually get to, like, sound check and concentrate on gear and <laughs> right so we just was way, right yeah yeah it was just kind of like we were booked on all of the festivals right and it was like so we were just so used to like 
it all just being like a wreck. Because at a festival, yeah, you just throw and go. There's yeah. no sound check. There's none of that going on. And and it's just important like to, to, to really have your crap together backstage with your pedal board and your tone and your amp, you know, as much as you can. Because backline never really works, no. right? Um, you know, hearing actual, and it was crazy, actually hearing yourself sing loud in a monitor, right? right. Because, you know, at a festival, you got good monitors now. Right? Right. You got good wedges. Probably not so much of a good house wedge monitor guy. Right. right? <laughs> but, you know, when you're playing clubs, you're like, you're just yelling, 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 screaming, everything's loud, right? Right. So... Yeah, there's this weird sort of transition, man. So, but you know what? The younger kids today, if, if they're pretty much, you know, they got all of these, the digital thing happening, right? Yeah, they do it with a phone. They <laughs> with a phone. They, 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 they're mixing their own wedges. See, I, 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 I'm not an in-ear fan because yeah. the problem is you start getting in your own world. You're not listening critically to what's going on around you. You know, yeah. you're not, and you know, we're we're in a reactionary business. We react yeah. to the drums. We react. You know, you're 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 an improvisational soloist. Yeah. You know? and, and if and if you're only hearing yourself or just bits and pieces of the whole picture, you're not going to be able to react as fast. It is very. I mean, you sh you know, like it's very weird playing with headphones on playing guitar because it's all about hearing the different dynamics of certain things that leads you to the next note or the next dynamic chord, that, that extra feedback from you moving, right? And, or hearing that you can push it just a little more because you, you get that, you get all the dynamics of a loud amp, like right. what you don't, what you don't get. First of all, the tone is never the same in your in-ears no. as, as it is without any ears. And there's no sweet spot. You can't move your head around. It's just, it's just, it's just there. You know? it's, it's, it's just a tone, which, by the way, a lot of younger musicians are not into tone at all. So that's why I'm glad that you do all the stuff that you do, because you like this whole encyclopedia of like guitars with tone and the importance of all of these different things. Right. Because kids today and, and, and what's weird is like because I've been having all these conversations, with all these different pickup manufacturers. And, and these guys are just like, Robert. Like, you got to understand, I'm doing this for you, but I'm not doing this for the business because nobody cares about that, right? <laughs> they just want a cheap guitar that they're going to plug into a computer to their phone and they got the thing and they're going to make their own music and then send this to that guy in their band or that woman in their band and, like, they made a song. Yeah. They're not caring about, like, special <laughs> 55 Les Paul. No, <laughs> you, know? And, and, you know, like, a lot of people ask me, like, well, how do you get that sound? I go, you turn the amp up. Yeah, turn the amp up. You turn, and now it's like guitarists and you know anybody with a lot. You know, there's a lot of people in Nashville. You know, like we rehearse down there a lot and we do stuff all the time. And you know, like big country bands, like major arena feeling country, they're not even allowed to use an amp on stage. You know, yeah. they, it has to be all in the box and linked to the Pro Tools. And I said, man, yeah. you know, you know, it, that's just a different school. Before that's we wrap up, I want to mention two things. I think one of your classic records that will go down in history is Live at the Wetlands 2002. Yeah. And, and for those who don't know, the Wetlands was a was a, a magical place yeah. in New York yeah. City. I played there a bunch uh, in various forms. You did. That place was special. Yeah. It was just if you were playing the Wetlands, you knew something it just had a great vibe. The VW bus that you used to sell merch out of and, <laughs> and, and everything and, and the parking tickets that you would take out the back, you know, in the van or the bus. I mean, right. tell me about that record, you know, because, you know, I think it was one of the last shows because it closed yeah. in 2001 or two, right after 9-11. Yeah, it was one of the last shows. See, the thing about the, the Wetlands, right, they always had great sound. It was a great sounding room. That's why everybody would play there. I mean, you would get people like Prince would go play at Wetlands after he played the garden. Right. right? He would go down there and play at like 1 a.m. Right. Yeah. And clubs like that just don't exist because the Wetlands would have literally like three or four shows a night. Right. right? They would have like 
a seven o'clock show, then a nine o'clock show, then a midnight show, then a 1 a.m. show, 2 a.m. show. Yeah. And it would be all of these bands and crowds in and out and just, it, it was just one of the great sounding rooms and, you, and it was just all of this energy. So in make, making that record, the only way, the only reason we played like that is because of the magic in that room at the time. Yeah. I mean, we were just like, okay, uh, we're going to document what we've been doing, right? We haven't really written any songs. We were just this church band that went to into the jam band scene. Right. And so it was like, hey, well, let's just capture this on record. And then it turned out to be this energetic night. And it's so funny because the Live at the Wetlands, like that whole night was actually three parts. We never even released the other two. Okay. Wow. I mean, yeah, we played three sets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so exactly. that. That was only set once. Right. Right. I mean, we, we, the show started at eight. We didn't finish till one. Wow. <laughs> Did you know it was special? Because a lot of times I've done gigs on DVDs that I thought I just, just sucked. And then I, and those are always the best DVDs. Something about it. Something you know? about it, right? And once you think you're just hitting the note, you, you, they, they're flat because they're safe. Yeah. Did you know yeah. it was special when you did it? Um, I don't, I think we did because the room was so energetic. The room, it just had so much energy that night, right? right? And me, especially, I only play good under those energetic circumstances, right? It's it's still taking me, to this day, I'm still having to adjust to playing in theaters and things like that, right? It's just... It's just hard, it, you know, it's just kind of weird because everything I do is based off of the energy of the crowd, which mm-hmm. leads to the next thing. So, and it's mostly, I mean, like I said, that just comes from playing in church, right? And it's like, yeah. we were taught to like to, and people are standing and they're clapping and they're yelling and crying and singing and dancing, shouting, jumping around, right? And then right. we went into that the jam band scene where it was like hippies doing the same thing, jam band, dancing, screaming, shouting, spilling drinks on people, right? Yeah, and it's and it's and it's kinetic and it's also it's also you don't realize how big a part the crowd is in your show. Yes, you know? it is. It is. It's so big, man. And it's just that night. I mean, look, granted. We did have one of the greatest engineers of all time, Jim Scott, mm-hmm. helped us <laughs> craft the sound and make sure right. we had like, because we all had cheap equipment back then. It was all like, it was PV everything. We had like the PV drums, the PV, I had the big PV amp, and <laughs> my cousin had the PV bass with the PV rig. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, the thing about PV is you could take your amp, throw it in the Hudson, fish oh, it out yeah. a day later, let it dry out, <laughs> plug it in, it'll still work. Oh, reliable, man. You and that's how we grew up. And they were louder than every single other amp, mm-hmm. right? I still got a bunch of PVs in my storage. And it's like, man, I sure would love to play that thing. But I don't know where the hell I could play that. I remember forget when we, right after the wetlands, about a year later, we, is when we went on the first tour with Eric Clapton. That was like 2000, the end of 2002. Right. Right. And it would be many of those shows where they would go like, hey, man, like, that amp was sold. I mean, granted, we're playing arenas and stuff, right? And it's like, they were like, hey, you wasn't even in the house. <laughs> I, had, I had my 500-watt TV session 500 or... Hell yeah. <laughs> they were like, I'm like, really? I wasn't in the house? They were like, nope. <laughs> that's, that's a... You know, I, I, I when I first met Eric, he, he was telling me about how his engineers were trying to get him to use the in-ears. Yeah, and so he would turn down on stage, and and you know, I, I was like, "You're a clap. You can play as loud as you want, right?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he doesn't use. It. He's not. He's not a loud player. But it's just. It, it is. It is funny though. Like you know, there's nights like my engineer goes. You know, it's just you're not. You know, it's like it's just you know, it's just. Can we turn it down? I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. It just, well, it affects. It. Yeah, like they you don't. Know, it's like. When you turn it down, it affects the whole tone of everything else that's going on. It's going to affect the way you play. Like, like you ever hear the Stevie Ray Vaughan live records? Like, like nobody, like that shit was loud as hell. Swinins, okay. <laughs> he said it's the. It, he goes, he goes. We would be pushed to one side of the stage. Stevie would have this whole rig on one side, and you know what? That's moving air is 
it's there's no substitute. Before we wrap up, I've been asking this question this week, and I've gotten some interesting answers. Um, what advice would you give to a 20-year-old 20, 20 Robert Randolph? Woo! <laughs> advice to a 20-year-old Robert Randolph. I would say it would be to... It would be to just explore all of the different musical opportunities that exist, you know, because I pretty much everything else I've kind of stayed true to who I am. Right. Uh, always included inspirational, feel good lyrics in all of the songs. Um, probably would be probably the other advice would be like, don't tour so much. <laughs> right. I mean, we used to be on the road. We would we easily would play 150 shows a year back then, right? And we were 20, right? Yeah. I mean, you remember those days like you're gone for three, four months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're gone yeah. for three, four months twice a year. You know, twice like, a year. And, twice and a, like, out like a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would say. I mean, probably don't drink as much tequila <laughs> every day. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we used to drink a bottle a day of tequila, man. You know, a day. You wow. get the bottle, mm -hmm. part of the writer, it's gone at 2 a.m. <laughs> right? Um, but I would say, other than that, man, listen, I had, you know, it was this musical journey was so fun. I mean, I've met, you know, like I've met everybody there is to meet. Right. I've played with everybody from, being at Prince's house, playing with him and, you know, meeting Stevie Wonder, meeting all the people that I've always wanted to meet, been around the world touring and, you know, hanging with everybody, being a part of the, the Eric Clapton Crossroads Fest team. Right. Right. Great. And well, met you there. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I've done it all, <laughs> but you know, I've been a part of major labels, made expensive videos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those right. big budgets that don't, that are nowhere to exist, right? Remember those days where you would do a video and the video would cost a hundred, two hundred grand, and it was like just nothing. Now you'd be lucky if you did, you, you know, a video cost five thousand dollars. <laughs> Warren right. has a great line. He goes, "The difference between the music business in the last twenty years." He goes, "You just drop the zero on the end." <laughs> if you used to sell three hundred thousand, now you sell thirty. If you used to spend three hundred thousand making the record, now you're spending thirty. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's a good one, man. That is it in a nutshell. But I think now it's a, in terms of the business side of it, we all don't know how to like make money from record sales or sales of music anymore. It's mainly just live, as you well know, playing live. But you have your own thing. You figure shit out that we all still trying to be like, how is Joe Biden also making all that money? <laughs> Listen, you got all of the guitar. I don't know if you know, but everybody's like, how does he do How does he have such a successful business? <laughs> you know? well, if you believe the internet trolls, it's because I won the lottery and my, <laughs> my father was a billionaire. Neither of nah, I know I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, you have to, you have to see Joe Bonamassa's team. He has a whole team. All of those people are dialed in on what like his brand is, who he is, the music he's making. And at no point is this team veering off of that, which is so yep. important, man. Yeah. So like you helped us all sort of like refigure this whole thing out, man. You know, because meanwhile, like a lot of us are still going to labels and labels are like, well, I don't know if you should do that. I think you should do this. And, and it's like, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's difficult. We, we figured out, we just, we just basically set up a, 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 a direct marketing company. We knew the yeah. fans that we had yeah. were trying to build and we knew, I, I kind of know what they want to hear, you know, so I don't really stray off those paths too much because I know that's what they want to hear, and 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 every time I go like, well, no, I just I'm just gonna make a brooding singer song record record. Dude, nobody's gonna yeah. want it. They want to yeah, hear nice. solos. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, that's what's important, man. Like, and you listen, you, like I said, you re-showed us all. <laughs> I mean, even the big successful guys, people are like, man, Joe Bonamassa's has really got that thing dialed in over there, huh? And it's like, yeah, man, he does. I mean, look, I mean, and, and not only that. Like you said, you're making music that guitar fans want to hear. You right. know, 
like I'm listening to his record. I'm like, well, shit. All right, let me make a record. Like, like I was told to cut off my solo at 20 seconds. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. Like, meanwhile, Joe Bon Monsters has a, a minute and 20 second solo. <laughs> yeah, take it far. Take it far. Nobody's like, hey, man. You know, I'll get that sometimes. It's like, hey, man, you can't play over that part. Right? Right. I won't, I won't say this producer, but this was years ago. The producer was like, hey, man, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, hey, you're just going to do this part, and this is going to be no guitar for like three minutes. And I'm like, hmm. I told the guy, I was like, at no point in time was Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan ever standing there with no guitar in their hands on right. stage. What are we doing here? Yeah, that's what they want. That's what they're paying to hear. You know. What like, are we doing? And there's no rules. That's the thing. It's when they say, "Oh, you're breaking all these." Rules. There is no rules. There is no rules. This is who I am. There's no. There's. There's no song without me and my sound. That's what they right? come. <laughs> I told one guy, I was like, "He's like, well, hey, you want to do that?" I said, "Well, I think you should go get John Mayer to do that." Then <laughs> I was like, "Like, like, yeah, like, like Mayer does this." It's like, all right, well, why don't you go and get him to do that then? Because I'm not him. <laughs> right. right, we're all ourselves. You know, I, back when I was a kid, you know, like coming up and I was on Sony Music, they'd be like, you know, you got to sound more like John and stuff like that. I said, well, the world already has a John Mayer. And he's great yeah. at what he does. Okay. Yeah. They, don't yeah. need, they don't need an Italian budget version of that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. But That's uh, funny, anyway, man. Robert, thank you for being here, man. You're, you're a superstar. And, and I've said this before. I, I, I think you, you are one of the greatest musicians and entertainers of this generation. You know, you, you, you've, you've, you've taken a pedal steel and turned it into rock stardom. That is unobtainium to, to most. And well, thank you, man. Listen, I may get you to produce my record. Like you're producing Gales and every, you know, Eric Gales and, you know, no, you get I'm down, having, man. I've been having fun. I've been having, you'll be like, you'll be like, Robert, play some more. Take another two courses. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Robert Randolph.